Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Let us come now to our text for today. If you would find in your listening sheet, we are going to read aloud together Job chapter 42, verses 6 through 10. So if you'll turn there with me and let us stand and we'll read it aloud together. This then is the text for today. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. May God bless the reading of his word. When you come to the final chapter of a book, you expect a tidy conclusion. Every loose end should be tied up so that all the story fits together. Every happily ever after speaks to our heart. It's the perfect conclusion to it all. But even if the story isn't, happily ever after, our minds prefer that the thickness of the plot dissolve with answers. And on a cursory reading of Job chapter 42, that is what you find, healing and happily ever after. And I suspect that's what many of us are hoping for today, the happily ever after. That's what, that's what we want for Job. That's what we want for us. We, we need a conclusion. We need an end. And we need to see that restoration happen in front of us. And so here on the final Sunday of Job, we recognize we have lamented for 12 weeks. We, we've gone through 41 chapters of, of painful difficulty with this ancient man. 
And so now, as we come to Job chapter 42, this is the moment the festive music should begin. Right? We begin to, to play as the final act of the movie turns. But when I was reading and rereading for this week, I felt conflicted. As I came to the end of the story, I expected my questions to be answered. And instead of having a completed narrative, I was left with more questions. Eight more questions to be exact. I mean, how do we come to the book of Job? We come to the final chapter and, and get eight more questions. I mean, th these were some of them. Ver verse 6, why does Job repent when God says he's right? Verse, verse 8, why did Job's three friends come back to Job like Job is their priest? Verse 9, where's the fourth friend? Where did he go? Verse 10, is Job healed? When is Job healed? Ver uh, verse 11, who are all these family and friends that are now coming around Job and where were they before? Right? Verse 11, why are these family and friends bringing Job gold? Verse 13, I can understand how gold and livestock can be replaced, but replacing children is not the same. That's more of a statement than a question, but verse 14, why, why are the three daughters named and the seven sons aren't? I don't know the answers. Where, where, where do we go with this? Now, some of, some of the answers are readily answered with a little bit of study. Others of those answers are lost to time. You know, if, if this were a novel, the final pages wouldn't create more questions. But this isn't a novel. This, this is a man's life. And, and a reminder that the pages of this document are alive in the Lord. This is a work of art created by God to give us insight into the human condition. It is right and perfect so that we'll know the way forward in life. But why the questions, Lord? Now, some of the technical questions may be lost to history. To time we have little record of. There may be some forgotten custom that required Job's family and friends to bring him gold jewelry. Or they may have just felt like they wanted to help the guy. But other questions, as we assess them, it's important to remember that the book of Job is a part of a larger whole. The, the story of Job doesn't end in chapter 42, but this is a larger whole of the story of God's redemptive work on this earth. Chapter 42 is not the end, but it's another step in the progression of life towards Jesus Christ. Right? This is a pivotal moment in the text that points us to the coming reality of Christ. But what we recognize in this moment, even as we come to chapter 42, questions abound. And in that, even as questions abound, it is clear in these pages what God expects of us. Though we have questions, the question is not, what does God expect of me? Or what does God expect of you? Or what does God expect of our church? Because that is clear. One of the ways we see this, we look at Job's three friends. Job's three friends get a bad rap. See, when we think about these three guys, we think about the 75% or more of this book that is this back and forth headbutting where they are in a debate where Job's friends debate him and then he debates them and it goes back and forth in, in a question and answer. And they're trying to figure out what's going on in Job's life. And as, as three friends debate with him, it turns into something more. 
it turns into some kind of speculation that takes them to places they never should have gone. It's, it's inappropriate, it's false, it's a poor assessment of God's purposes. You see, Job's three friends could not have been further from the truth when it comes to their assessment of who Job is and what's happening in this moment. And this is why God says in verse seven that his wrath is coming for them and coming quickly. Because their poor theological imaginations couldn't see what God was doing. And God was going to punish them for it. They couldn't see beyond the surface into the specifics of this situation and what God was up to. And in their ignorance, they kept on speculating. You see, the grave sin here is they kept talking when they had nothing to say. They were arguing points beyond their insight. They would have been far better off if they would have just kept their mouths shut. We hear this same warning in the book of Proverbs. We hear a similar kind of warning in the book of James. If you don't have anything to say, be quiet. If you don't have anything to say from the Lord or of the Lord, be quiet. A quiet presence is far better than an ignorant presence. In fact, God lays it out here to the ignorant present. He punishes. See, all three of Job's friends had become these ignorant speculators spewing hogwash all over Job with their false accusations. It was despicable, and God was going to punish them for it. And you know, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard or read or seen idle speculation in the last two years? We think through this pandemic where everybody has to have an opinion and people just talk for the sake of, being, of talking. People talk to, to have a take. You know, it's only gotten worse with the horrific events in Uvalde. Everybody, including our governor, felt like they needed to talk and they got way out over their skis, careening into a darkness they didn't understand. It's better to be a quiet presence than an ignorant one. And even though Job's friends spoiled their visit with this idle speculation, God gave them a way forward. God saw them in their ignorance and said, here is a way out into holiness. And let me tell you the, the joy and hopefulness this, this is for each and every one of us where God will pull us out of our ignorance and lead us into his holiness. This is the way for all of us because every one of us in this room has spoken at a turn to the detriment of a situation. And to every one of us, God gives a way out. It's the way of the Lord, a way of restoration. It's this way with any and every sin. See, God fully recognizes your weakness to temptation. God gives you a way forward to move out of the pain and out of the guilt and into his holiness. Now, for Job's three friends, God, God's bringing his wrath upon in this text for today. For these three friends, they're, they're all well before Jesus Christ and so God laid out the way of redemption for them in a step of obedience in what that looked like before Jesus. And, and what we get is this treasure in, in verse eight because it's, it's easy for us to miss verse eight. 
Because we, we want to read about Job's prosperity. We want to, we want to read about God giving Job double. We, you know, we've, we've wept with Job for 41 chapters. And now we're ready. We're ready for the fairy tale ending to come. And, and, and we want it because we want to claim it as our own. We want to claim our own fairy tale ending. But you know, most of us are closer to being Job's friends than we are to Job. Remember, remember how Job was described earlier in the book. You go back to chapter one. I mean, God himself was saying these things. Where Job was described as the most righteous man in, in that, that whole area, that whole time. God says there's, there's no one like Job on this earth. And, and this is one of the great joys that we see with, with, with Job's friends here. Because we recognize Job was as great a man as there was in that day. But God's mercy was not just left for the most righteous one. God's mercy was for everyone. You see, if God's grace was only given to the most deserving, not a single one of us in this room would make it. But that's not how God's redemption works. In this story of redemption and hope, it isn't just Job that is brought forth and saved. It is his three friends brought out of their ignorant speculation into the holiness of God, and they are restored too. To the worst of us, to all of us, God declares there is a way forward, a way into righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now for these three friends, God clearly tells them to offer sacrifice. So before Jesus, he says, you bring seven bulls and seven rams, and this is about as costly as it gets. We see a similar sacrifice that happens in Ezekiel. And this is the same number as for the entire nation of Israel. And so as you think about this, this sacrifice that they come to make, this is massive. This is exponentially expensive. And so God tells them to take this offering and make this sacrifice and go to Job. Job here, again, is, is functioning uh, like a priest or an intermediary or an intercessor himself, just like he did for his children in chapter one. And God tells these three men, if they'll take their sacrifices and pray before the man they have been deriding, God's going to accept their sacrifices and they would be forgiven. And to their credit, in verse nine, it says, they went and did as the Lord told them. They were perfectly obedient to the voice of the Lord. This in verse 9, this is the line you need to underline. This is the line you need to circle. This is what you need to highlight is their obedience because this is the line that you want to emulate. In the text, there's no question. There's, there's no hesitation on their part. They don't have to find out where, when, and why from God. They go. When they know the way of the Lord, they go and they do. You see, when you're face to face with the word of the Lord, you have two responses. You can obey it or you can fight it. And we've seen earlier in the book that Satan came back swinging. Satan heard the word of the Lord and he was going to push back. He was going to fight it and he was going to, to go his own way. You can do that. You can go the way of Satan or you can surrender to Jesus Christ. Will you surrender to the Lord this morning? These three friends knew it, that it's costly and it's humbling. It cost them literally uh, much in their livestock. 
Economically, it was a lot. But personally and relationally, it was a lot. With the man that they had been arguing with to go and sit before him in humbleness, it was a lot. But if it isn't costly, if it isn't humbling, it isn't worth anything, you see, what the, what the Lord is offering us is, is eternally valuable. Access to treasure that's beyond the scope of this earth. And, and you're not going to get there without something costly, without humbling, being obedient unto God. So for us, God does not ask for bulls and rams, otherwise we'd have cattle on the grounds this morning. There, there's no cattle here because God provided a way forward in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. The blood of these bulls, even in this chapter, foreshadowed the work of Christ on the cross. See, in the New Testament, we see that scripture says the prescription for this redemption is in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and if you would surrender your life to him, if you would stop fighting and fall at his feet, restoration is at hand. Now, we love verse 10. So we come, verse 10 is our fairy tale ending. This is, this is what we've been hoping for. This is what we've been longing for when we get to verse 10. So Job chapter 42, verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. See, this is our happily ever after. This is the verse we've been longing for for 13 weeks, and, and like Job, you know, we've been asking, when will we finally get past the lament? When will we finally get to the restoration? But we, we need to pause here, because what's remarkable is what happens before verse 10. This is a great, miraculous work of God. It is, it is fruit of His grace. But what happens before verse 10, if you, if you trace the actions back, and trace Job's actions back up into verse 6. You see that Job responds to God exactly as we should when we come before him. There's a moment of, of humility. And so that any pride that Job had before, where Job was, was thinking he might take God to court and, and stand before God in a courtroom setting and declare his own innocence, any pride of that thought is gone in this moment. He hears the voice of God. In fact, we've heard just a couple of chapters ago that Job is covering his mouth and saying, Lord, I cannot speak because of your presence and the authority of your voice. And, and what we learn here up in verse 6 is that Job retracts and he repents. Both of these words are a bit odd here. Let's take the one we know better first, to repent. What did Job have to repent of? God himself says in verse 8 that Job was right in his words. So why repent? Maybe it's the, the notion of taking God to court, but that seems to fall under God's declaration here. Likely, we, we need to think of the deeper definition of repentance. Because generally, we connect repentance with confession, confession of sin, as we, we should. 
But repentance is more than just confession of sin. There, there has to be something greater than that. In fact, as you, you look deeper into the definition of repentance, it comes back to the word change. And it's even a little bit different in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you, you see a, a change of heart or a change of mind or a change of action. And that repentance and the confession of sin is always accompanied by change. Changing your heart, changing your mind, and changing your actions. And when Job heard the voice of God, everything changed. Job said, I have nothing more to say. I have no charges against you. I have no declaration of innocence. His, his mind changed. His demeanor changed. Everything had changed. Job has nothing more to say. And the word retract here goes hand in hand with this. It's likely that this means something like this, that Job got up off the ashes of his lament and then begins to go about his life just like he would before, whatever the new normal is. And so Job had the time of mourning. He had the time of, need, uh, of lament that he needed. And he, he worked through that time. And now with the voice of God, it's time to get back to normal. And what Job is saying here, he's telling God, I, I've been in mourning, but it is time to get up. I've been in waiting, and it is time to go. And, and Job is saying here, because remember, Job is not healed yet. Job is not restored yet. Job has not come back with those around him yet. And Job is saying, even still, I'm going to trust the Lord with tomorrow. He's saying, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to move on. It doesn't matter what happens to me today. It doesn't matter what happens to me tomorrow. God, I am going to walk with you wherever you lead me to go. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to move on. And even still, even, with the, even beyond the physical, Job doesn't know the answer to his questions. All through the, these pages of Job, Job has been looking up to God and asking God, why? God, why has this happened to me? God doesn't answer that. God doesn't have any indication of those kinds of things. Job doesn't know about Satan. Job doesn't know about what God was doing or how God was protecting him. Job hasn't had his life restored but he says, I'm going to be obedient and move forward. He repents and he retracts. And even before the healing, even before he gets his stuff back double, God says, you go get back with your friends. You receive their prayers. You receive their sacrifices. You walk with them in these spiritual duties like you did before, like you did with your children. And when Job is obedient to God, in that way, he is restored. That's when we get verse 10. Then you see him coming back into his home. He's opening it up to others, and his fortunes are restored. But Job starts praying for others before he's healed because he trusts the Lord with it. Job starts hosting people again because he trusts the Lord. These are moments of faith that he's declaring to everybody that's around him that I love the Lord. I love the Lord no matter what has happened to me, and I love the Lord no matter what is going to happen tomorrow. And my faith is in him. My trust is in him, the creator of our universe. 
And Job, to our knowledge, never gets the answers to his questions. God leaves all of Job's questions unanswered. But God tells Job, listen and trust. Obey me in these spiritual matters and all will be made right. You see, God never tells him about the protection that he offered. God never showed him what was going to be coming. And still Job was faithful. You know, for God's specific reasons, he isn't going to answer all of your questions. Some of your questions, many of your questions, will be answered in the pages of this book. But not all of them. And I want you to hear me this morning. If, if you are waiting until all your questions are answered for you to follow Jesus, you're never going to get there. This is a leap of faith. And God is saying this morning, with all your lingering questions, surrender your life to Jesus and you will know the way. In fact, all of those remaining questions, leave them at the feet of the cross. And in fact, it's, it's in the picture of the cross that life begins to make sense. You see, that's what this book is about. That's what these, these pages unfold for us. You see, for 3,000 years, our ancestors have been telling us over and over again that the only way this life makes sense is to surrender it to Jesus Christ, to, to lay your questions and your heartbreak at the feet of the cross and surrender to him. And the restoration of the Lord will come. The peace that passes all understanding will speak into your heart and become a part of who you are if you're willing to finally stop fighting and surrender to Jesus this morning? Are you ready to surrender it all to him? All that we are and all that we have to the Christ, our Savior. Let us as a church surrender to our Lord in this way this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We want to follow you, Father. Will you show us the way forward from repentance to service to, to walk with you in your kingdom, to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, to walk on this earth and know the, the spiritual as well as the physical. Lord, would you come in your spirit and show us the way. Lord, we pray that you would fill us up with the Holy Spirit so that we might know you and be drawn in close to you. So that we can walk in the freedom of forgiveness and be empowered to live out your gospel daily, Father. Would you come and show us the way. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.